0: Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 424. Um, Switching gears here from uh, our British counterparts, we're coming back to America for American vernacular architecture. The term vernacular is a much disputed one, and in the United States is perhaps best understood to embrace a number of different types of architecture. Buildings produced for lower budgets than those in high style. And therefore exhibiting notable ethnic and regional characteristics buildings made by traditional methods for rural or provincial clients and buildings in which ethnic and regional traditions merge with current styles to create interesting hybrids in the vernacular style there is likely to be a mix some new ideas some traditional the ethnic character of these houses originates from immigrants or often first-generation builders, working with techniques and planning ideas that they learned from their mother countries of origin. Such methods may be preserved as valued traditions by subsequent builders, or sometimes they may be given up totally. The main ethnic influences derive from the first permanent colonial penetration of North America by the European peoples, the Spanish in the 16th century, the French, the Dutch, and the English in the 17th century, followed by the German and Scandinavian immigrants in the 18th and 19th century. Each tradition has contributed to the character of the American vernacular home. Examples of the 17th century vernacular are still standing, though few survive from that early period. At the other end of the timescale, the houses of our own country are more likely to participate in national and therefore non-vernacular culture by virtue of mass produced materials and the information networks that brought builders out of their insular, although even modern manufacturing houses shows regional reflections once it is on the ground and inhabited. Vernacular houses may be either owner-built or constructed by highly skilled craftspeople for the clients. They may present a relatively rustic appearance, but may also exhibit fine finishes and attention to ornamental detail. Of course, the greatest number in the United States have disappeared, either because they were constructed as impermanent to begin with, or because owners have replaced them with something more imposing or up-to-date when improved resources were allowed. The regional characteristics of vernacular houses come from builders responding to the climate and topography of the area and making use of local materials. In New England, with its severe winters, the favorite 17th and 18th century material was wood, used for framing houses and for exterior sheathing, sometimes combined with brick or stone for chimneys, footings, or basements. Strongly sloping timber frame roofs shed the snow and provide an attic space. Dutch 17th century settlers built homes using a series of heavy timbered H-shaped frames faced on the exterior with brick or stone. German builders of the 18th century in the Hudson River Valley and in Pennsylvania used stone for the body of the house and timber framing for the roof. Other German settlers, both northern for example, in Wisconsin and southern, say, North Carolina, chose half-timbered building techniques in the 18th and 19th centuries. A heavy timber frame was combined with an infill of clay, brick, or mud with straw. Sloping roofs might be tiled or shingled. Brick with a timber frame roof was the preferred material for a large-scale house of, say, the Chesapeake region. Yet the small vernacular house, commonly a one-room structure, was made all of wood. In the Mississippi Valley and Gulf Coast, 18th century French settlements were constructed with buildings combining vertically placed timber posts with a stone or earth infill, often with a smooth rendered finish. Horizontal log construction with notch corners was also popular. A smooth finish is found in walls of the 17th and 18th century Spanish settlements in the Southwest where the climate is quite hot and dry. Here, builders made extensive use of adobe or mud brick laid up in courses, with relatively flat roofs supported by wooden beams. Scandinavian settlers in the 19th century Midwest used log construction techniques with corner notching, mud chinking filled in where there were gaps between the logs. On the prairies of the West, cut sod was used to create coarsed walls, much as cut stone might be used elsewhere. The impact of industrial techniques on building in the early 19th century with mass-produced nails, powered sawmills, mail millwork, and materials transported by the National Rail Network did not immediately put an end to trad- traditional vernacular building styles or methods. For newly-arrived settlers of the mid-19th century, traditional methods and locally harvest materials continued to serve. Not everyone in frontier settlements had the money or the access to railroad transported materials to participate in the mainstream building boom of materials. However, vernacular styles were also expanded and improved by mass-produced materials so that a hand-hewn log house might have been a store-bought window Perhaps the most far-reaching effect of the Industrial Revolution was the spread of information. The widespread availability of printed materials containing advice on building techniques made stylish architectural details available to all builders, not just the elite. Throughout the 19th century, small, rural, inexpensive houses were made with fireplaces doors, and window details showing a familiarity with Greek revival, Italianate, or other styles popular in professional architects' repertoires, but adapted to local taste. That ends us for our American Vernacular series. Uh, Greg Perry signing off. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Please tell people about our podcast and pass it on.